you, you, guys, you guys remember a guy named uh, Pastor Tim English, right? Some of you have been here for a bit. Yeah, so he's, he's, he's serving as lead pastor in, at Salem First, and uh, God's using him in some fun ways. And then the question is, is well, okay, what does God have in store for us? Who's going to step in to this spiritual formation role? And don't you believe God knows what God's doing? I mean, over the last three years, God has been preparing Pastor Jenna to really step into this role and take us to a deeper place spiritually. The last three years, she spent time going back to school, getting her master's in theology, and just, um, and just letting God do what God does best. Just form her, reshape her into, into the godly woman that she is. And I just want to invite her to come up on, onto the platform here. And, and, and I want to say a couple things about her. And then, and then at the end, I mean, we can just give God thanks for creating her. And there's a couple words that come to my mind when I think of Jenna. And, and, and know this, she's probably feeling a little uncomfortable. No one likes to be praised in public in front of people, right? But here's a couple words that come to my mind. Uh, number one, she's intense. Right? She, yeah, she's determined. She's bold. She is a pursuer of truth. And she has that like holy fire about her. And I think we've all experienced that in her preaching. Don't you agree? I mean, she can bring the word. God uses her to bring the word effectively. The other thing I really appreciate about her is that she's a woman who is committed to living a life of obedience to God, whatever that means. That's it. She's just laid her life at God's altar and just said, God, use me however you want. Fill me, shape me, transform me. I just want to be used by you each and every day. And I really do appreciate that about her. Last thing I want to say is, is she also has this knack of bringing things together. Again, she's a woman of intentionality. And so over the last three years, in our, even in our facility, everything you see, all the redo, all the color schemes, our vision, how all that works together, it she, she has led that charge, again, because she's a woman of intentionality and she wants everything to matter. So I just want to say, hey, thank you for being a person who lives and leads with intention. And we're so glad that you're going to be our spiritual formation pastor. Can you guys just give a round of applause to God for creating her? We say thank you. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and just so you know, that's her smoking hot husband that's with her right there. His name's Kirk. And... And, and it's her birthday today, right? Yeah. Now at nine o'clock, I shared her age, but we're online and you know what? It, women don't like that too much, right? So if you want to know her age, you're going to have to ask her. All right. All right. Let's prepare to receive God's word this morning. God, please, please do what you do best. Man, transform, reshape us into being uh, people who just, Light up the world because we reflect your image, God. God, as I ask you every week, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us so that we can understand the truth of your word. We're in, this God, we're in your story, right? We're trying to understand your story. And, and, and we're looking at these stories in, in each one, and today in particular, this character that we're gonna look at, Moses. God, may we see ourselves in some way in this story. And, and as we do, I'm asking that you transform us and reshape us where we need to be transformed and reshaped. Convict us where we need to be convicted. And may we just lay down whatever we need to lay down at your altar so that we can become a God-dependent and God-controlled person that you use to expand your kingdom here on earth. God, please move. In your mighty name, we pray and ask, amen. I wanna begin with this word, failure. You guys have heard that word before, right? Failure. It's falling short. It's a losing of power or strength. 
or, or it's not succeeding in doing or becoming. Has anybody here ever failed before, right? Uh-huh. Who likes to fail? No one. But aren't there some benefits to failure? Possibly yes, if we're willing to receive them, but why don't we like to fail? Because it's painful, right? Notwithstanding the, the benefits that we may gain from it, and we're human beings, right? And human beings are pain adverse. We're suffering adverse, right? When you think of this person by the name of Moses from the Bible, and if you haven't heard of this gentleman by the name of Moses, you're, you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to really, I think you're going to be able to relate to this story in some way today too. But when you think of Moses, for those of you who've heard him before, what failure in his life comes to mind? It, it, it usually is the one where he doesn't enter the promised land, right? So God uses him, backstory here, God uses him uh, to bring the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt. And he takes them all the way into the wilderness and he leads them right on the cusp of entering the promised land that God had promised to the, to the, to the nation of Israel. And he sends 12 spies to go over the mountain and, and to investigate. And these 12 spies come back and 10 of them say, oh my goodness, these people are too big, they're gonna crush us. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, say, what? God's been with us so far. God's going to take care of that for us. Well, 10 of the spies, they just work the nation of Israel into a frenzy. People all worked up, and they're chanting, and they're yelling to Moses, la-da-da-da-da, and Moses, what does Moses do? Moses caves. Moses gives in to the will of the people. And so God says to Moses, you will never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever enter the promised land. You can look at it, but you'll never enter. In fact, this whole generation is never going to enter except for Joshua and Caleb. Whoa, big time failure. Typically, though, we don't think of Moses' initial failure, which which really changed his life forever. So listen to the beginning of Moses' story and see how God reshaped him from being a self-dependent and self-controlled person into a God-dependent and God-controlled person that God could use to further God's kingdom here on earth. And here's some background facts on Moses. Moses was adopted. He was an Israelite. He was put into a little basket when the Egyptians were trying to, to kill all the, the young boys of, of the Israelites. He was put in a little basket by his older sister, and he was adopted into the house of Pharaoh, the wealthiest family in all of Egypt. As we read in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, we learn that, that Moses was, um, was, school, was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. That is, he went to the best schools in Egypt, in essence, he had the equivalent of, of an MBA and PhD. According to Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Moses was a man of power in words and in deeds. Moses was a statesman. That is, he could speak effectively when he was young, and he was a decorated military leader. In fact, when you read... Uh, history books outside the Bible, you will see that, that Moses led the Egyptians into some great military victories, in particular, a monumental victory over the Ethiopian empire of that time. And so Moses, by virtue of his military leadership and by his membership in the house of Pharaoh, was in line to perhaps one day even be Pharaoh himself. Moses, at around age 40, he journeyed out, he 
he saw one of his Hebrew kinsmen being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster. He went to his Hebrew kinsman's aid and he murders, he kills the Egyptian taskmaster. Now there's something about this story, this early life of, of Moses that has a contemporary feel to it. I think many people today, maybe some of us, are devoted to or just uh, consumed by reaching the top of the pyramid, wherever we are in life or whatever, wherever we're working. Well, Moses was in line to own the pyramids, but he made a costly mistake. With one impulsive act, Moses fell off the pyramids. Again, at about age 40, Moses just about had it all. He had power, he had prestige, he had education, he had wealth, and he had a career with unbelievable potential. By anyone's standards, Moses was an absolute and complete success. When we think of Moses... We, we, we think of the plagues that were inflicted on Egypt. We think of the parting of the Red Sea. And we may think of all the other miraculous signs that, that God did for the Israelites through Moses' leadership. But all of those things happened in the last 40 years of Moses' life. We typically gloss over or overlook Moses' first 40 years. And, 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 we, and we can't do that. Because, because it's the study of Moses' first 40 years that, that really reveals how God often works in our lives as God reshapes us from being a self-controlled, self-dependent person into a God-dependent and God-controlled person that God can use to further God's kingdom here on earth. As we will see at age, about age 40, Moses unwillingly and unknowingly went back to school. There was one degree that he was missing. He needed to get his MCA. That is his master's in character acquisition. Uh -huh. And for what God wanted to use him for, this degree wasn't optional. He had to get it. And this MCA, I'll just be real with you, it's not an easy degree. And that's why so few people sign up for it. It usually, but not always, but it usually requires... Uh, some radical or unforeseen series of events to get us into the program. Events like bankruptcy, events like a divorce, events like a, a moral failure or a loss in life or an addiction or some major career setback. The program, this degree, really consists of two primary courses, but it took Moses almost 40 years to complete. It's important to note that Moses lived to be 120 years. And his life can be divided into three chapters of 40 years each. The first 40 years, the initial 40 years, an undisputed success from a world perspective. The middle 40 years, an unparalleled, undisputed failure, at least from a world perspective. And then the last 40 years, he was finally fit to be used by God. At some point in Moses' initial 40 years, and that's what we're gonna focus on right now, at some point in time in his initial 40 years, Moses realized that he wasn't in this position of power and authority just by chance. He was there for a reason. God had reached out and pulled him out of a house of slaves and put him in the house of Pharaoh. 
And God did this for a reason. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, gives us some insights into what Moses was thinking when he went to the aid of his Hebrew kinsman and then killed that Egyptian taskmaster. Listen to what Stephen says to us in Acts chapter 7, beginning of verse 23. Stephen says this, But when he, that is Moses, was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind, that is Moses' mind, to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he, that is Moses, listen carefully, he, Moses, supposed that his brethren, that is the Israelites, understood that God was granting them deliverance through him. But they, the Israelites, did not understand. Verse 25 makes it very clear that at about age 40, Moses knew, Moses, Moses knew that God had chosen him to be the deliverer of Israel. Moses was dead right about the task. But Moses was dead wrong about the timing. And as a result of his miscalculation, this is what we're told in verse 26. On the following day, he appeared to them. That is, Moses appeared to, his, to, to the Israelites as they were fighting together. And he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you're brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At that remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian. That doesn't make a lot of sense because Moses has the power. Why would he flee? Well, we'll read a passage in Exodus that will put more meat around that, okay? Where he became the father of two sons. So at around age 40, Moses decides to institute his own plan to bring about the Exodus. And it doesn't work out. This event, though, gives us great insights into the kind of man that Moses was. I want you to take a pause and just think about what Moses was trying to accomplish here. His goal was to take two million slave laborers, plus women and children, out of Egypt back to the back to the land of their fathers. And these two million slave laborers, they were the economic backbone of the world empire of the day. That is the Egyptian empire. And yet Moses thought that these Israelites, even though they really didn't know him that well, they didn't have relationships, he's never led them before. And yet he believed that these Israelites would follow his leadership would revolt against the Egyptian empire, again, the world empire of the day, and find their freedom. Wow. I think you agree it takes a special kind of person to try to pull off a rebellion like that. Wouldn't you think? I mean, Moses must have had great self-esteem. Moses must have had great self-confidence. Moses must have had great courage. Simply put, Moses believed in himself because he had succeeded in everything that he had done in his life up until that point in time. Are you, you guys following me here? Now listen to this account as it's told to us 
in Exodus, which gives us a little different angle to how we heard this account that was provided by Stephen in the book of Acts. Listen to what we're told in Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 11. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw that there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The problem was is that there were other people around. He just didn't see him. As we read in the following verses, same thing. Next day, he goes up to break up, break up a little squabble with the Israelites, and one of the Israelites, they had seen him do this. And not only did the Israelites see him do this, but listen to what we're told in verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. Now we get to the real reason why he fled. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Did you notice the fatal flaw in this account? When, when Moses was contemplating going to the aid of his Hebrew kinsmen, go back to the previous slide, go back to verse 12. You notice the fatal flaw here. In verse 12, it says this, Moses did what? He looked this way and that. That is, he looked to his left and he looked to his right, but he never looked up to God. He never consulted God before he acted on God's behalf. There is a self-confidence and self-esteem that is healthy and good, but there is an excessive self-confidence that is detrimental to our spiritual health. How do you tell the difference between the two? Well, easy. An excessive self-confidence is marked by prayerlessness. Okay, let me, let me say that again. An excessive self-confidence is marked by prayerlessness. We're so busy instituting our own plan. We're so confident that everything's going to work out according to our plan. Pastors can struggle with this. We get so busy that we think, well, you know, we must have the spirit on us at all times, so we just do whatever, whatever we think. Leaders in a church can fall under this trap. Hmm. Business owners who say they're followers of Jesus Christ can fall into this trap. Any follower of Jesus Christ can fall into this trap. Are you following me here? And so at Church in the Hill, this is why I'm so passionate about, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about taking two times of year where we just come together as a people and we quiet ourselves before our God during 21 days of prayer. Where we, in essence, tithe the first part of our year with our time to just remember that God is God and we are not. And so we gather here from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. just to stay quiet and let God speak. And when we do speak, we're asking God to move and asking God to do what God does best, heal and restore. Are you guys, you guys follow me here? 
Are you with me here? Huh. How busy are you? There's that saying, I'm too busy not to pray, right? So we're so busy instituting our own plans. We're so confident that everything's gonna work out according to our own plan that we never bother to look up to God and that results in disaster. It's not like we're going against God. I wouldn't say any pastor here at Church on the Hill is really trying to go against God in any way. It's just that if I'm honest, sometimes we just feel like we don't need to depend on God. right? We don't want to bother God. We'll just handle it the way we think we should handle it. Are you, are you, are you following me here? Jesus, Jesus really spent, speaks against that kind of nonsense thinking. He says it this way, very pointed and very tender, I think, in John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him. That is, he who stays stays connected, attached to the vine, to Jesus Christ, our source of life, the one who gives us the nourishment, the spiritual nourishment that we need. What's it say? Those who stay attached to him do what? We bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's nothing godly. The person with excessive self-confidence doesn't really believe this last phrase. Now, we may believe it intellectually. If you ask any pastor on our team, they'll say, oh yeah, I believe that. No doubt about it. But many of us fail to believe that experientially. That is, it isn't part of our daily way. It isn't part of our DNA. It's like, we, 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 we may get to God but we don't just sit in front of God every day and we just get God, have your way, feed me. Have your way with me, teach me. I can't do anything today unless you're breathing into me. So God, please fill me and then guide and direct every path, every conversation, every interaction that I have today because I want it to be life-giving in some way. Are, 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 you, guys, are you guys following me here? And, and I think Moses may have believed this intellectually that he needs to rely on God, but he's, he doesn't really believe it experientially. And that's just where he was at that point in time in his life. And this is why I think Moses' failure must have been so bitter for him. He knew, he knew at around age 40 that God had chosen him, had, had given him it set him up with this power and authority, put him in this position to save the Israelites from the Egyptians, and he blew it. And worse yet, there was no one, no other Israeli on the horizon that was in a position of power and authority for God to use the way God was going to use Moses. And so his golden opportunity and his people's one chance at freedom were gone at least at this point in time. And so by failing to consult God before Moses acted, Moses' world turned literally upside down. He went from palace to desert. He went from felon, I mean, from freedom to felon. 
He went from wealth to poverty. He went from significance to insignificance. He went from a life with purpose to a life with absolutely no purpose. He went, he moved from a, from a bright future to a grim future. And all this happened overnight. Think about it. In 24 hours, he lost it all. Whoa. But God. God then begins to work, right? God takes his failure and he begins the process of reshaping Moses from being a self-dependent, self-controlled person to a God-dependent, God-controlled person that God can use to further God's kingdom here on earth. And how did God accomplish this reshaping, this transforming? Well, by sending Moses back to school to get his MCA degree, his master's in character acquisition, which again consists of two primary courses, advanced obscurity and remedial waiting. Again, remember, let's talk about advanced, this course, advanced obscurity. Remember, at age 40, Moses was what? Moses was a scholar. Moses was a statesman. Moses was a, a military leader. And, and Moses was well-known in his community. I mean, he couldn't walk down the street without people recognizing him and wanting, to, and wanting to hang with him, which makes me think that Moses wasn't just confident. Moses was, oh, he was overconfident. And the only remedy that there is for overconfidence is well, obscurity. When Moses fled from Egypt to Midian, he went from being a somebody to a nobody. And Midian wasn't like Egypt. There were no impressive cities for Moses to hang out. And there were no groups of people who were just admiring him saying, oh, Moses, you're the bomb. No, Midian was a flat, barren land with lots of sand and lots of rocks and a few shrubs. It was a place of extreme heat during the day and extreme cold at night. It was a very uncomfortable place to live and that's why it was so obscure. Nobody in the right mind wanted to live there. In Exodus chapter two, beginning of verse 16, we're told this. Remember, he fled Egypt and in, one, in, in, in Exodus chapter two, we saw that he fled and he eventually made, him, he made his way to a well. So this is where we pick up in verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and filled, their, filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses, again, who was sitting at the well, stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to see Raoul, their father, he said, why have you come back so soon today? So they said, an Egyptian. It appears that that's still who he was, an Egyptian, right? <laughs> At least that's how people perceive him or how people named him. It seems to be how people identified him. Maybe that was still his identity. An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And what's more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, where is he then? Why is it that you've left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses was willing to dwell with the man and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son and he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. It's important for us to understand that these six verses here capture 
the middle 40 years of Moses' life. That's it. 40 years, six verses. Why? Well, because Moses was living a life of obscurity. He really wasn't doing anything, so there's nothing to write about. But as he was living a life of obscurity in quiet, in solitude, God, though, was at work. God used this period of obscurity of Moses being a nobody in conjunction with with a period of remedial waiting, that is the second part of this MCA degree, to begin to reshape God's man from the inside out. Again, at this point in time, at age 40, Moses not only was overconfident in his abilities, but he was also in a tremendous rush to achieve his goal, to play his role in God's story, to free the Israelites from the Egyptians. Moses was sure that God had put him in this unique position of power and authority so that Moses could have a unique ministry. Again, Moses was dead right about the task. He was just dead wrong about the timing. But Moses was thinking, well, I'm nearly 40, and if I'm gonna accomplish this, then I better get on with the program. The problem is this, we may be in a hurry, but God is never in a hurry. Why? Well, in this case, because God requires character development before ministry action. I want you to think of it this way. God requires character development before whatever our next is. You guys follow me here. God may be using us right now, but God always has a next. It's in that waiting that God prepares us for the next. Are you following me here? In Moses' case, God re- he required character development before ministry action. And in godly character doesn't ever happen overnight. It's not like God fed X's that to us. Here you go. Uh, God, God, God develops godly character in us one step at a time. That is one life choice at a time. One life dilemma at a time. One life situation at a time. Are you guys following me here? Now we have a tendency to have a problem with that because at least, especially those of us who live in the U.S. Everyone here live in the U.S.? No, okay. Because we always want it now. We're always in a hurry. We don't want to wait. Now, you may sit there and think, ah, come on, Pastor Dave. Nah. Well, let me just ask you a trite question just to prove my point. When was the last time that you stopped at a yellow light at an intersection? Just saying, just asking. Most of us do what? When we come to an intersection with a yellow light, what do we do? Jam on the gas, baby. We accelerate, right? Even though we know that a yellow light is telling us that we need to prepare to stop and wait. I'm working on this message, right? 
on Wednesday. And it was like in this like part, you know what I mean? I already had it written, but I was really focusing in. And I left and I went home to eat and I was in a rush because I'm going to eat and then I was going to come back for 21 days of prayer. And by golly, I come up to a light and it turns yellow and there's even a car in front of me. And what do I do? I accelerate and I just shoot through. I think I made it. I'm not sure. And I'm sitting there after I got through, I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm going to talk about this on Sunday. And I just, I mean, I just proved my point, right? The reason why we don't like remedial, remedial waiting is because we're in a hurry. Come on, God, get on with it. I want to do, at least I think I want to do what you're asking me to do, and I want to do it now. Mm. The other reason why we struggle with remedial waiting is because we don't, we don't know where we are in the process. <laughs> where are we beginning, middle, are we getting close to the end, God? <laughs> where are we? Hear me close. It, whatever, whatever God's doing, what, it, whatever character development process season of the life that we're in, there's always a beginning, there's always an end, a middle, and there's always an end. And guess what? God knows exactly where we are, and God is moving us along if we will follow in the timetable that God wants us to be on. Are, are, you, are you guys with me? All we have to do, look, listen, this is, this is all we have to do is just seek God first, and trust that God will take care of the rest. Just begin each day. Here I am, God. Have your way with me. Teach me whatever you need to teach me today. Reshape me in however you need to reshape me today. And then please, God, please use me to light up your world today in some way. Are you guys following me? Waiting in obscurity. Wow. Have you ever been there wondering what God is doing, maybe in your failure or maybe in your mess or maybe in your feeling like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. When we're in these situations, we only have two paths. We can continue pounding our head against the wall, trying to make it happen on our own, trying to plow through on our own strength, pursuant to our own timetable, or we can quiet ourselves before our creator, God. And we can begin to learn to, to hear and to recognize God's voice as God speaks. And again, what, that is one of the reasons why here at Church in the Hill, we have this discipline where we take 21 days two times a year to just quiet ourselves before God. I, I want to reorient my life around just listening to God during these 21 days. Why? So that we can then learn to live a life of dependence on God, not on us. And then we can learn how to follow God, how to live a life of obedience to God every day in every way. That is what Moses needed to learn here. Why? Because he had become so conditioned to following his own instincts, his own thoughts, his own plans. That's how he was raised. And so God needed to reshape him from being that self-dependent, self-controlled person, which, guess what, served him extremely well when he was an adopted child of Pharaoh. 
Living a self-dependent, self-controlled life can serve you very well when you're living as an adopted child of your employer. From a world perspective, it can. But the only way Moses was gonna be able to fulfill his role in God's stories, he needed to become a child of God. That is, he needed to learn how to live a life of dependence on God. He, he needed to become a, a God-dependent, God-controlled person so that God could actually use him to further God's kingdom here on earth. Simply put, God would not use Moses. He would not use him. Which then makes me think, oh my goodness, how does that apply to me? God would not use Moses until Moses learned until we learn how to submit to God in God's timetable in every way, every day, in all things. Are you following me here? This story rattles me to the core. It really causes me to want to fall on my knees right here in front of God at God's altar. Just say, God, I need to get out of the way. It's not about your God, I am not. God, please, please, please reshape me to being a God-dependent, God-controlled person that you can use every day. Are, are you guys following me this morning? Failure. Back to that word. We don't like it. We don't want it. We go to great lengths to try to hide it, ignore it or rationalize it. And when we do that, we either resist or we miss an opportunity to be conformed into the image of God in our failure or in our mess or in just whatever stage of life we're in. Are you guys following me here? Maybe, maybe, maybe if we would just accept the failure or accept the mess or accept where God has us right here and right now, God can get on with reshaping us to become that God-dependent, God-controlled person that God can use to further God's kingdom here on earth. Are you guys with me? Again, as Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me, he who stays connected and attached to me, and I am him, he, we, me, bear much fruit. For apart from me, you, me, can do nothing. So who here wants to live a life Attached to the vine. Attached to Jesus Christ. Who here? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We say that. We know we should believe that intellectually. That actually may be our heart desire. But how? How? 
are you going to live that way? Isn't that the question? What say you, people of Church on the Hill, what say you, people who are watching online today, how will you? How will you? I humbly suggest that's simply having this heart attitude of seeking God first and trusting that God will take care of the rest. It's actually having the discipline and asking God to give us the discipline to sit and quiet ourselves before God on a regular, consistent basis so God can do what God does best. Transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Are you guys with me? You never hear me beg for anything from this platform, do you? If you've ever taken step one of life track, I make this very clear. I will never, ever, never, ever beg, ever beg for money, ever. Because churches get a bad rap on that and people get weird about that. So I just said, no, you heard me talk a lot about the vision, but I'll never beg, ever beg for money, ever. But I am going to beg for this. I'm going to beg you to join me in becoming people of prayer. Like, like that's a part of our DNA. We just don't say it intellectually. Who here is going to say, oh yeah, we shouldn't pray? No, everyone's going to say we should pray. But I want you to actually believe it and live it experientially. Are you following me? And so I'm going to beg you for the next two weeks, and then when we come back in August, to reorient your day around engaging God in prayer for an hour, quieting yourselves. If you come, if you come you're going to experience and you're going to hear from God. And maybe you don't feel it the first day or the second day. Why? Because we still have all this stuff going on in our minds. Sometimes I feel like I need to take the first week to detox before I'm ready to hear from God because I'm so busy and have so many of these plans on my mind that are all mine and not God's. So I'm just gonna beg you to come as a people so that we just unify around quieting ourselves before God and letting God speak. Are you with me today? And if you can't, because I know sometimes our jobs and things of that can happen, check out this slide. You can take a picture of this slide. If you're watching online, I think they may have it in the comments section, especially on Facebook. Just join us online. It's a, it's, it's a church that we partner with, Church of Highlands. They take the lead. Man, we just receive. So I'm begging you. I'm begging you to take a heart posture but just letting God speak, letting God do what God does best, transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. So will you, not just during these 21 days of prayer, but each and every day after, will you begin the day and say, here I am, God. Have your way with me. Please teach me. Please transform me. 
And then please use me to light up your world today. In Jesus' name we pray and ask, amen.